Hi, welcome to the podcast of our Wednesday night study here at First Baptist Church to Queen as we go through the book of Revelation. My name is Pastor Josh Horwick, and I'm the pastor here at First Baptist to Queen. And as we continue to look verse by verse through the book of Revelation, uh, I hope uh, you will continue this journey with us. If you have not, you can go back on our website, dequeen.church, and you can find all of uh, these teachings. Uh, this is uh, uh, number 10, the, the 10th uh, teaching from the book of Revelation. You can find all the previous ones uh, before this up until now there. Uh, but you can also on our website find how you can contact, uh, contact us. Uh, and we'd love if you have any questions or comments uh, about this particular, just uh, shoot us an email or, or give us a call and you can find all that on our website. Uh, we can't wait to hear from you and, and feel free to drop a like or share uh, this podcast if you find it helpful. Well, today we're starting off in Revelation chapter 14. And in verse 1, John writes, Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood a lamb, or stood the lamb, and with him 144,000, who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters and the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists, playing on their harps. And so he speaks there of uh, seeing Mount Zion. Now, Mount Zion on earth uh, is the hill upon which Jerusalem sits and the temple itself uh, rested. It was a symbol of the presence of God. But here, it's apparently a heavenly Mount Zion representing the residence of God. Again, the presence of God. And he mentions seeing there, the hundred uh, or a hundred and forty-four thousand. We assume this is the same hundred and forty-four thousand uh, that we see mentioned previously in the Book of Revelation. And now, the hundred and forty-four thousand, uh, twelve groups of twelve thousand. Uh, these seem to be quite possibly the same ones who were sealed back in Revelation chapter seven. And here we see them in heaven. Uh, all those who were sealed by God have been made safe in heaven. We also see that the seal itself on their foreheads uh, could be represented here by both the name of Jesus and the Father. In addition to the seal itself, quite possibly uh, being the Holy Spirit himself, as is referenced in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. And then we have a voice crying out. This voice is loud, it is intense, it is frightening, uh, but it's also sweet sounding. Notice he, he compares it to harps, uh, though it may have been hard to continue to listen because of how loud it was, the sweetness of the sound might have made the listener want more. And then as we see actually in the next verse, uh, the voice itself is actually one unified cry of praise from the 144,000. Look at verse 3. And they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as first fruits for God and the Lamb. And in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. Now, as this verse opens, we see that this scene is in heaven. He says, before the throne there. And Back in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, the elders sang a new song, and here another new song is composed and sung in praise to God. 
So as God continues to work, new songs are needed to further describe his new actions. Notice here that only those who had experienced the sealing of salvation could know this song. So then he speaks of defilement here, and and the defilement and the virginity mentioned is not meant in a sexual sense. They are used as spiritual terms here. They both mark those who have been faithful to God. So this is a description of the believers. They are faithful to the Lord. They follow Jesus wherever he leads. They have been redeemed. They are truthful in all their words. Verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Now the last time that an angel appeared in Revelation was Revelation chapter 12 or 7, but in a different context, a different vision. This angel arrives bringing an eternal good news for everyone on the earth. His message is is basically, worship God because his judgment is here. It's arrived. It's interesting that the good news is that the judgment has arrived. But the arrival of judgment is an indication of the arrival of the end. The angel is saying something along the lines of, the end has come. Praise God for how you have been delivered up until now. Praise God for his provision and offer of salvation. Look at verse 8. Another angel, a second, followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, she who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. Now, Babylon here stands for the great evil of the world. It's a culture of sin and purposeful opposition to the work of God. So with the coming judgment of God is also the end of Babylon, evil as well. Verse 9, And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, And he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. So the wine that Babylon makes the world drink, from verse 8, also brings the wine wine of the wrath of God. The first, the wine of Babylon, evil, sin, cannot be drunk without also drinking the second, the wrath of God, the, the punishment. So partaking in the sinful enjoyment of, of the world necessitates also partaking in the judgment. Basically, they're two sides of the same coin. Those who drink of God's wrath will experience his unlimited anger and punishment. Now, there is something interesting here in in the way uh, John uses the phrase, poured full strength into the cup of his anger. God's wrath poured full strength into the cup of his anger. Typical wine of this day was, was diluted with water to the tune of one part wine, three parts water. And that's significant because the literal meaning of the phrase, full strength, uh, is undiluted. So God's wrathful punishment will be completely undiluted in its implementation. 
So then, just as Christians suffered in the presence of unbelievers, unbelievers will be punished in the presence of the angels and Jesus. Look at verse 11. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. And they have no rest, day or night, these worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice in heaven saying, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. Just as the beasts around the throne do not rest in their worship of God, so also these worshipers of the Antichrist are not granted rest in their punishment for the sin. And we see also that the hope of the persecuted Christians is that their persecution will not last forever. However, their persecutors will receive punishment that will last forever. And so in that is a call for Christians to persevere because the difficulty that they are experiencing presently in this world will not last, but the difficulty in the world will come the the difficulty in the world to come will last forever which is exactly why the communication of the gospel is so immediately important. Those who die in the Lord will receive rest from godly work. They will be rewarded for serving the Lord, though their deeds do not grant them salvation. They will return blessings from the Lord. Verse 14. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud. And seated on the cloud, one like a son of man, with a golden crown on his head, and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Put in your sickle, and reap, for the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. So we have a being sitting on a cloud, like a person in appearance. Some see this person as Jesus because of the Son of Man language, similar to Revelation chapter 1, verse 13. But this person, this angel, what I'm going to say, is instructed what to do by an angel. And he conducts the act of an angel, as another angel does in the following verses, Revelation 14, 17, and 18. And so this guy is reaping because it is time to judge the world. It is time to separate the Christians from their judgment, or separate the Christians for their judgment and the non-Christians for their judgment. This begins a time of, of gathering for judgment, whether the judgment uh, is for sin or the judgment is for blessing. Look at verse 17. Then another angel came out of the temple, and he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, the angel who has authority over the fire, and he called out with a loud voice to the one who had a sharp sickle, Put in your sickle, and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. Another sickled angel comes out to gather a specific people for a specific purpose. And the fire of this another angel could represent destructive judgment. And so this would seem then to be the harvest of the unbelieving. It's interesting to note as well, the word ripe, in verse 18, uh, where he says the grapes are ripe, the, the word ripe there in verse 18 is different from the word ripe used in verse 
15, where the angel says uh, the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So the word ripe is different in, 18, in verse 18 than in verse 15. In verse 15, the word ripe spe- refers specifically to the ripening of grain. And in verse 18, the word ripe refers to the ripening of grapes. So two different types of crops are being gathered for very different purposes and results, as we see in verses 19 and 20. Verse 19. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city, and blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia. So the grapes that are harvested are smashed by God's wrath and uh, trodden on. And the winepress itself is, is destroyed. Blood flow. This is destruction. This is an allusion to the end when all of the unbelieving mankind will be judged and receive punishment accordingly. Now, he mentions 1,600 stadia. That is about 184 miles. Uh, But more likely, the issue at hand uh, is about the absolute realization of God's perfect justice on his unrepentant creation. And so as we begin this journey into the final section of the book of Revelation, the end of the end, um, we're going to look more uh, in the next session. So thank you for joining us in this examination of Revelation chapter 14 as we journey through the entire book of Revelation. Join us again next time uh, where we will continue to see what God is communicating through his revelation. So I'll catch you in the next one.